The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. I have a very special guest, Eliz Martin. You may know her from Instagram as The Sparkled Life. Eliz was misdiagnosed with multiple sclerosis for years before getting an accurate diagnosis. Her symptoms have ranged from very mild to extremely severe, but throughout it all, she's remained an advocate for her health while living limitlessly. On today's episode, we talk about how Eliz has used neuroplasticity and physical therapy to go from being nonverbal and non-ambulatory to now speaking clearly and walking with her forearm crutches. Every story and experience with neuroplasticity is different, but I think you'll find Eliz's very inspiring. Eliz, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Of course, we were just talking before we pressed record that we've been following each other for at least five years now, which is just crazy. And so much has changed for both of us within that time frame. So crazy. Yeah, so much. And it's yeah. it's really cool to like connect now in a podcast way too, you know, like having been following each other and been friends for so long. It's really, it's really fun. It is. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to dive into a lot. We're going to talk about neuroplasticity and your experience, your journey, physical therapy, all that good stuff. But before we do, is it okay if I ask you a question from my interview deck to let our listeners get to know you? I would love that. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. I'm going to shuffle. I'm not looking. Your question (laughs) is, what's the most creative excuse to get out of doing something you didn't want to do? I have a perfect one. I, I, sorry, I'm sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. I use I use that. I call it my trump card. I use it like not mostly to get out of like doing dishes. Like all of a sudden after dinner, like is when I'm really, really feeling not so good. So I can't do dishes, you know, and I'll be like, here's my trump card. You know? <laughs> so, but as for like, Outside of my illness, it's something that might be very unique. Oh gosh, I can't even think. It. Let's just stick with that. With that, yeah. I feel like that's a good one. That you can use that on so many people. You can use it on your husband, friends, like and anyone. It just it works. Yep, I've even used it with doctors. Like for an appointment, I'll be like, "Hey, sorry, I can't come in today. I'm sick." You know, and they are, and they get it. They're like, "Yep, we feel you." <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Cause that's one of the biggest reasons that I started my own thing with this more virtual platform. Cause so often my clients would say that like, sorry, I just can't come in today. And I totally understood 
but my boss didn't, who didn't really know about the MS community. And so he didn't get how important that was. I was like, there's got to be something we can do. Like, it's not just, okay, sorry, sucks to be you. Like, let's actually still help them. So yeah, it's interesting to, to see it from both sides, I guess. Yeah. And, and that's probably been such an innovative thing that's helped out the community the most is telehealth and these teleappointments and being able to do things virtually because there, there are literally days where like you need the guidance of a doctor, but you physically cannot get to the clinic. And so to be able to do something either via a portal or be via telehealth, like is life-changing. And then to be able to like work with a therapist and like physical therapy, occupational therapy, whatever, you know, you need that day to be able to do that virtually is game changer for sure. Absolutely. And we're going to go into your experience with physical therapy too. But before we do that, if there are listeners that don't know who you are, maybe they just know your name, but they're not really sure what your story is. Obviously, you've had a, a long journey with diagnoses, I'll put it that way. Um, but can you give us like a recap of, of what's going on? What's your story? What's your journey? Yes, it is hard to summarize because it is long. So it's been 11 years. March 21st, 2012, I woke up with loss of feeling from my toes to my belly button. Went to the hospital thinking like I had an infection or something. They'd give me antibiotics and I'd be good. They did an MRI and they found lesions, my brain, neck, and spine, and my central nervous system, and immediately diagnosed me with MS. I mean, it was like the neurologist called me at like 10, 15 that night being like, I'm diagnosing you with MS. We're going to start you on steroids. Like, here we go. So it was very much a whirlwind and my life changed. So, So that happened. Like I went into work that day, went to the hospital and never went back to work never went back to my apartment, never went back to my old life. Like immediately overnight, everything changed. And a couple months later, I got really super sick. My symptoms just escalated. And that's really when we started to second guess that diagnosis. And for about four years there, I really chased answers just like, asking doctors like to look over my case. I went to some of the top clinics in the US, some of the top doctors, and they always came back with, I call it the shrug. They were like, Bleh. you know, we don't know. And it was very much, you know, it's atypical, it's progressive, secondary progressive was thrown in there for a little bit. They didn't, they're like, yes, this isn't your typical MS, but we don't know what else it is. So we're going to stick with that. So after four years, I finally was like, all right, I'm done. I'm not going to search anymore. We're just going to take it for what it is. And, you know, for an additional like four years after that, I just lived life, you know, as it was and took, you know, took the MS diagnosis at face value, kind of knowing that I probably did have MS, but probably also had something else. That's what I thought at the time. And then come 2019, I became super, super sick. I lost my mobility completely, use of my arms and legs and my speech completely. I was completely nonverbal and it was very shocking and very dramatic. And at that time, my MS specialist presented my case to a panel of doctors 
who looked over it all and they suggested genetic testing. So I went ahead and did the genetic testing and they found genetic mutation of a, it's called a GFAP gene, G-F-A-P, and it is indicative of a disease called Alexander's disease, which is in it of itself is like super rare. But then what makes it even more complicated is that Alexander's disease is made up of like a family of genetic mutations. And the one that I have, I am clinically the only person right now in the database that has that. (laughs) So it's like, it really, I try not to think about it because I like kind of spiral, you know, Mm -hmm. because it just uh, like, I'm just like, you know, don't let, let's not, let's not go there. But it was honestly relieving in a lot of ways because it was like, okay, like now we know what it isn't. It's not MS. Now we know what it is. It's this Alexander's disease, but there Alexander's disease, like I said, is rare. So there's not a lot of information about it. No cures, no treatments, but that's, that's okay. Because I've been so symptom oriented instead of disease oriented and my symptoms are the same. So it's just focusing on how to adapt and learn and live with my symptoms. And the disease is what it is, you know, especially being genetic disease. So that's a little summary. So that happened in 2019. I, of course, gave as much like of my bodily fluids as possible to research and (laughs) And then I, you know, peaced out, we moved to the beach and, you know, I'm still like, you know, it's a, it's so such a rare disease that there's like a group of us that kind of are all in this research database, but yeah, that's, that's the long summary of it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I feel like you could give a million more details about each of those phases too. And it's interesting from my perspective, just an external perspective, because as I mentioned earlier, you and I have been following each other and friends for five to six years or so. So I saw you, you were very vocal about what was going on with the diagnosis change and less vocal when you actually couldn't speak. And so it's been a really unique perspective to just being the one watching, obviously not the one going through it, but it's, one thing that from the very beginning, even before you having this diagnosis change that I really picked up on was your advocacy for yourself. And even when you kind of accepted like, okay, this is MS, you still were open enough that when you had these new symptoms, obviously they were intense symptoms, but you still felt open enough to reach out versus just feeling like, well, it's MS. My MS is progressing. Like I know so many people who wouldn't think to seek further assistance for that. Cause they, you know, just kind of, eh, it's MS. This is the natural disease progression. So your advocacy has been extremely motivating and inspiring, even just to watch. And I feel like you're inspiring a lot of others to advocate for themselves as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that means a lot. Oh, I mean, and that's, that's honestly the only Besides building relationships and within the community, the reason why I share my health journey is because of the ability to be able to teach others and show others of how you can be, I call it CEO of your healthcare and how you can like take control of your healthcare and 
it looks different for every single person. You know, what being a CEO of your healthcare is like, it's very different for every person. For me, it means like being the boss and, you know, always like pushing my doctors for more. And I'm thankful for that. Like my background before I got sick was in business. So being able to apply that kind of steadfastness, that kind of like, I wouldn't say aggression, but let's just say advocacy. Let's, Let's put that word on it. Towards my health has been so helpful and has really been like just life changing because I've been able to advocate for myself in a way that has given me the ability to live a really big life, you know, instead of being so limited. I always say I'm living limitlessly while limited. And instead of like being contained by my limitations, like I advocate constantly through all avenues to make sure that I am able to do everything within my power to live limitlessly. So That was a lot right there. (laughs) Yeah, I love that though. It's such an important message. And again, even just from watching you virtually, like you're still going to the beach. Like you're you're making the adaptations that you need to to still do the things that you want to do. You bike frequently. You know, there's so many things that that you're doing to live limitlessly. I think I think that's the perfect perfect tagline for for you. And misdiagnosis is huge. I was just at the annual MS conference and a huge three-hour lecture was focusing on the misdiagnosis of MS. In some cases, being misdiagnosed with another disease when it actually is MS, but in other cases, being misdiagnosed with MS and it's actually something else. Especially in your case, it's such a rare disease, but there are even more common diseases like, which one is it? Cerebrovascular disease you can have lesions on your brain that look very similar to MS. So there's that misdiagnosis there. So it was a big topic. It's definitely on researchers' minds and they're looking into how to more accurately diagnose and diagnosing correctly sooner. And I think this is just a perfect case of how we want to make that change. You've had a lot of experience with physical therapy And you mentioned that you lost your speech and your mobility. Obviously they can't see you right now, but you know, you've gained your mobility back, obviously your speech. Can you talk to us a bit about your physical therapy experience and what you did, what that was like? Yeah. First of all, physical therapist, number one fan over here. I mean, and you cannot see me right now, but what you can do is you can hear me, which is like fascinating because you know, a couple years ago, like I was nonverbal a couple years ago. Well, a year ago, I was in a wheelchair full time. And, you know, to specifically answer your question, my first introduction to physical therapy was right when I first got sick. I actually was in inpatient rehab for about a month and a half. And that's where I was introduced to the concept of neuroplasticity and also relearning how to walk. And that was my first time relearning how to walk. And it was, it was intense. Inpatient rehab is like, it's like, it is, it is not for the week for sure, no. but it was, isn't it, isn't it like three hours a day or like, it's a, a yes. lot. Yeah. Three hours a day, six days a week. They start, you know, like 6am. I mean, it's six and then like around noon and then around three. And I was like, yeah, I mean, but I mean, it, it was, it was such a fascinating 
like I was, I was like thrown into physical therapy, you know, like, and I had a great first physical therapist and he did a, a, a wonderful job of seeing my unique situation. And I, I, I love this example. So we were relearning, trying to reteach my brain how to relearn to walk. And I have extreme spasticity in my legs. And so he was trying to think of outside the box ideas of how can we kind of not control, but limit the spasticity so that we can go through the process of the walking steps a little bit easier. And I was having a really positive time with using weighted utensils to help me eat with my spasticity with my arms. And so he was like, well, let's try weights on your ankles and see what that does. And sure enough, like it helped, it didn't stop the spasticity, but it just kind of helped limit it enough so that I was able to do, you know, the walking motions and the, you know, the baby steps, you know, you're, you're a pro at this. I can't reiterate like all the things that a physical therapist does to reteach you how to walk, but it just helped me, like I said, limit that spasticity enough to be able to relearn to walk and just thinking outside the box like that showed me that there are ways no matter what to adapt. You know, that that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. But yeah, through the years, I've worked with probably like 10 or 12 PTs and each one has been unique in their own way. But I think what is misunderstood about physical therapy is the amount that they can help you. Like, it's not just like going from wheelchair to walking. That's very dramatic, you know, like that's like a big, a big taking, but like something else that a physical therapist helped me to do, which is like monumental is how to get up from the floor because I'm a fall risk. You know, if I fall, like how to get up and even how to fall safely, like, you know, things like that, which are life-changing, you know, how to do stairs, which I hate stairs, <laughs> hate stairs. And that was my worst part of physical therapy was having to like practice on the, like the five or six staircase, you know, physical therapy does so many unique things. You share about it all the time, like how to help with leg drop, how to get in and out of the car. I love that one you did with like your mini Cooper. Those are, those are life-changing, you know? Yeah, you're so right. I think a lot of people think of physical therapy just as getting stronger or getting better balance and walking, which are very broad things, but it's not often portrayed as something that can help with specific activities. Like you mentioned, like stair climbing, getting up off the floor, falling safely for sure. Hey guys, Dr. Gretchen here, just taking a quick break from the episode to share with you that if you're inspired by Eliza's story and you want to start doing neuroplasticity exercises, or if you just want to make sure that the exercises you're doing have neuroplasticity techniques behind them, we've got tons of them in my online MS wellness program, The Missing Link. Every exercise inside this program uses neuroplasticity concepts to help you walk better and safer, climb stairs, get up from the floor, and so much more. You will feel empowered and in control over your day-to-day activities. I'll put a link in the show notes where you can find out more. Okay, let's dive back in. You mentioned that you've been to 10 to 12 different physical therapists. So my question for you there is, 
when did you go to a new one? Like, was it you were just living somewhere different or did you have a new goal? Like when and why did you think to go to PT again? Yeah, that's a great question. So most of the time I would go to a new therapist because either moving played a big part into it, but I also tried physical therapy at a lot of different clinics and hospitals. When I talked about going to the different clinics to have different doctors look over my case. I would also meet with a physical therapist there to kind of get their point of view and see if like their approach was something I would be vibing with. And then also, you know, there's turnover with physical therapy in clinics. So that happened a couple of times where I was going to the same clinic and, you know, I would bond. It would be like the saddest thing. You like bond with a physical therapist and then they had the turnover and then I'd get a new one. And then there were some, I would say there were probably like one or two therapists that I didn't vibe with. And that happens too. I mean, and that's like the same with doctors and, and, you know, you kind of, that's why it's so important to like know what your vibe is personally. So then you can go out and seek doctors and professionals that vibe with you so that you get the most efficient care because going to physical therapy is not easy. So you want to make sure that you are learning from somebody that speaks your language and speaks in a way that you can understand. Yeah. Yeah. That bond is real. I remember feeling, I mean, even now, but especially when I was working in person, I feel like I had like 20 new best friends because I was seeing my patients usually two or three days a week. I knew all about their life. They knew all about mine. It's just, it's the absolute best. It really is. Yeah. When you went to physical therapy and you felt like you were vibing, like you trusted, okay, this person knows what I'm going through, or at least they can help with what I'm going through. For someone listening who doesn't know what that would be, because there is a big difference between more traditional orthopedic physical therapists compared to neuro-based, and in in my case, MS-specialized, but even just neuro-specialized, do you have any guidance if someone just feels like, well, how does she know that they're going to be a good fit? Like any, any tips on that so that they feel like, okay, yeah, this might be someone who can help, whereas other PTs didn't help? Yes. So, so. And it's very interesting because this is sort of related, but I had some physical therapists who said that they were neuro-trained. And what I would learn to find out is that they took, you know, a course during college on, you know, and so there's, there's different levels of what you're looking for. But what I would always look for are credentials, you know, which they can do, or I would ask them like, what they, what's like new in the neuro PT world, kind of like test their knowledge a little bit, but make it from a point of like, you're the expert. Tell me like what's new in the like neuro PT world. And if they're pulling from things that are like 10 years ago, or they don't have an answer, then maybe they might not be as informed as you might need as a patient. Also, I've realized it's just asking about neuroplasticity, you know, and, and, and using that as kind of like your gateway into talking about neuro and PT, which neuroplasticity is also used, not just with neuro patients, you know, it's, it's used very broadly, but I found that that specifically, like it gave them the knowledge of, oh, okay, she might know what 
you know, some things on her end. And then also it gave me kind of like another test to like see where they were on their end. So those would be my two things would be one, well, three things, one asking for credentials two asking for what, you know, their newest thing with the neuro PT world. And then three asking them specifically about neuroplasticity with regards to like your case. I love that. And that is a, a very sneaky question because not only are you seeing if they know what neuroplasticity is, which they might, but you're also seeing how they explain it to someone else. And I'm a firm believer that the only way to like fully understand something is if you can explain it in a way that anyone can understand. And so if they just kind of give you more of the science definition versus something that actually makes sense and that you can see implementing, I think that's even another layer deeper of, okay, this person actually gets it. That's true. Yeah. 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 It's surprising though, how many people don't know, even physical therapists don't know what neuroplasticity is and, or they know what it is, but they don't use it in their physical therapy exercises. Like that's two completely different things, knowing what it is, but then using that concept in every exercise that you do, which is really what is going to make the difference. So, and, and you fortunately have found PTs that do know what neuroplasticity is. What was your first experience with neuroplasticity? Was it at a physical therapy clinic? Yes. Back again, when I was in inpatient rehab, you know, he explained to me when you're relearning to walk, it's not necessarily based solely on strength or you know, X, Y, Z, you know, he was explaining that I have, I'm, I'm just a patient. I'm just a lover of neuroplasticity. So please excuse me and correct me if I ever get this incorrectly or say things incorrect. But what he described to me was because of the lesions in my brain, sometimes the signals would get like a stop. And what neuroplasticity does is it kind of gives it like a way around or you're building a a detour was I think actually the word that he used. And that made so much sense to me. And when I would get frustrated with myself because we're doing the same exercises over and over and over again. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, like, I mean, first of all, I'm freaking exhausted. Second of all, like make this make sense. He would just, again, you know, describes when we create these new pathways, like, first of all, you have to start small. And second of all, like you have to do that repetition in order for your brain to remember to do that automatic detour instead of keep trying to like go the the same way it's been going for the past, you know, 20, 30 years. So it's going to take time and it's going to take a lot of, you know, consistency which I am not a patient person. So (laughs) neuroplasticity can be hard in that way. But yeah, so that was when I was first introduced to it was way back then. And then, you know, obviously for speech, you know, I think a lot of people too, when they hear neuroplasticity, they think that it applies just to the PT world with regards to relearning to walk or relearning to do a specific physical activity. But with my speech, there's a couple things there. I also have spastic vocal cords, which does not, you know, apply with neuroplasticity, but being able to work with a speech therapist in a very similar way as I did with a PT and relearning 
how to speak again and building those new neuron pathways. I mean, even speaking right now, like it makes me tear up because like, it's, 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 it's crazy, you know, like that the brain is that powerful and our bodies are already ready to do this. And, you know, it's not always going to work out the way that you think it's going to, and it's not always going to be perfect and it's not going to work every single day. But the fact that I'm able to hop onto a podcast right now with you and speak, (laughs) I mean, that's just, that's just, I mean, it's so cool. It's so it really cool. is. Yeah, absolutely. You just brought a memory back for me. I went to a, I'll call it like a guided meditation class years and years ago. I was still living in Boston and it was called neurosculpting meditation. And I just thought, well, this is interesting. Ooh. I, I want to go and just see what it is. And it was using the concepts of neuroplasticity via meditation to rewire our brain to create new habits and to create new thoughts and new neural pathways to believe something different. And I was like, that was the first time at at that time I had been teaching neuroplasticity exercises for walking and strength for probably about one year. And it was the first time where I realized like, whoa, the power of neuroplasticity, like it's not just your muscles, it's your brain. Like it's everything. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is like if you dive into neuroplasticity, I mean, people have been able to use the practices of neuroplasticity to heal from past trauma. And that's just one example. But like, like you said, with like how to talk nicely to yourself or how to like, you know, it's, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but like we're very much into like a manifest, you know, like culture, like let's just manifest it and it'll come true. But like with regards to your thoughts, like you can actually use the practices of neuroplasticity to actually change the way that you think and to change it for the better. And like to, to, you know, sort of, I mean, I could go on and on and on again, I'm not an expert, so I probably shouldn't, but just the, the power of it and the, the vastness of what neuroplasticity can do in your life is truly amazing. It is. And of course, everyone is different in the sense that it might take different exercises to reach their goals. It might take a different length of time. But what did it look like for you and your neuroplasticity exercises? Like, were you doing those exercises daily, a few times a day, a few times a week? And then follow-up question, how long did it take, not for you to get to where you are today, but how long did it take for you to feel like, Oh, this is working. Like I'm seeing a difference. Yes, that's a that's a great question. And I just want to reiterate too, like how it is different for every single person. And like what I find very challenging with sharing my story is I don't want somebody who's either doing the work to look at me and be like, well, why does you know, why is she there, you know, now and I'm not? You know, we have to remember like every journey is so different and we have to respect that and respect our own journeys. For me, this time around relearning to walk, I started back in 2019 and it was just, you know, it was, I was not very consistent in the beginning at all. And then COVID happened and I was unmotivated to, to kind of do a lot. But once summer hit of 2020, 
and I was able to get into the pool. The the pool was like ideal for me because it supported uh, my core. And so that's when I started practicing little neuroplasticity movements with, you know, just, just mostly my ankles and my feet, and then also just standing in the pool. And I would do those daily. And then from there, it just was little by little by little. I was not consistent, but I would say I was consistent enough. But I never, at the time, I didn't think relearning to walk fully and being able to walk was was achievable. And it really took probably two years before I was like, okay, let's get really consistent and let's see what happens. Like, let's just see. Because again, neuroplasticity works differently for every single person and differently at all chapters of life too. So I wasn't sure that it would that it would take from wheelchair to walking. So I started doing more like aquatic therapy, essentially. I started working with a physical therapist and I started to be very consistent. And over the course of a year, I it was it was about like this past September actually, where I pulled out my arm crutches and it was the first time that I took a few steps in the house. Like I still remember it to this day. And I was able to take like three or four steps and I just started crying because I was like, excuse my language, but like, holy shit, what just happened? You know, yeah. like my husband, my husband came down from his office. He was like, are you okay? And I was like, I walked, you know, like it was just such like an emotional thing. And it just, you know, right then it like clicked that, okay, like my hard work is paying off, you know, like prior to that. And that's what can be so frustrating with PT and neuroplasticity is that you can see like no improvements for a long time. And then one day you see it and you're like, oh, okay. Like, (laughs) but there, there were months where like I was still putting in the work, but not really seeing you know, or I was seeing micro, micro things. And then once, once that happened in September, it just kind of, I think probably that gave me a little bit of a boost and I started putting more work into it and um, going to the physical therapist more. And October was the first time that I actually like walked outside of the house since 2019. So that was, that was a pretty, pretty big deal. So I don't know if that fully answered your question, but there's there's that recap. <laughs> yeah, no, that was so good. And one thing that I love that you said is that, especially in the beginning, you were consistent enough. And I love that because I think a lot of people often feel like you have to be extremely consistent in order to see any results. And therefore, if you don't perceive yourself as being extremely consistent, you might just assume you're not doing enough. And then you're going to fall off the wagon because you figure, well, it's not doing anything anyways. And so I love that you shared that because it just shows that consistent enough works. Like you can see improvements with being consistent enough. And then as it worked for you, you get even more excited because you realize, oh, wait, this is working. And then you might be even more motivated to continue staying consistent. Yes. And it, and that's such a good point to, to make too, especially within the, the Nero world. And I know we already discussed this a little bit as what my favorite excuse is, but like fatigue is so common. It's a common symptom in the Nero world. And I think fatigue really deters people sometimes away from 
practices such as this because they're like, there's no way, there's no way I can do this every day. And so, yeah, like back to you said, consistent enough and like respecting your fatigue and your body, but also still trying when you can. And that's, that's another something that I've learned about neuroplasticity is sleep is extremely important for neuroplasticity, but like you have to be, this is kind of a pun, but like in the right mindset for it. (laughs) And, and so giving yourself grace to just be consistent when it, when it, you know, when you're in the right headspace is like a perfect place to start because it's respecting yourself. It's respecting your journey. Absolutely. One thing that I've, I've started changing the way that I say something recently because of that. And one thing that I used to talk about often is how important rest is rest between your exercises, but even a full rest day throughout the week. What I realized is when people were resting, they were feeling guilty. And it's my opinion that if you're feeling guilt while you're resting, like if your thoughts are, I shouldn't be resting right now. I should be doing X, Y, Z. It's not actually restful. Like, and I've done this too. Like I rest for a bit of time, but I'm just thinking about all the things I should be doing. And then it's my time where I'm not resting anymore. And I don't feel rested because I was just feeling so guilty. And so what I've started saying instead of resting is to rest guilt-free. It feels completely Ah. different. And it's kind of what you're saying where it's honoring that you deserve this rest. You should be resting right now. You shouldn't be doing something else. Yeah. And that I love that resting guilt-free because that is such a common theme that like in conversations that I have with friends within this community is the guilt that comes with resting. Like, you know, you need it. You know that like life is going to be really hard if you don't rest, but like our culture is go, go, go. And, you know, productivity is, is the key to life. And resting is the exact opposite of that where it's saying no resting might be the key to life. And so it's very hard when you've been conditioned and then have to like recondition yourself. So rest without guilt, man. I think I might steal that. I love that. It's so good. (laughs) When I even say it, it just makes me feel better. Like it makes me feel like I can take a deep breath and just sigh it all out. Like life is going to be okay. You know, it's, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It will. Um, Guess what? All those things you need to do are still going to be there tomorrow. So just rest and worry about it tomorrow. And it's easier said than done. I will say I used to be great at that in physical therapy school. I remember many moments where I would get so stressed about something, probably a test or studying. And I would be able to tell myself, don't worry about it. You can think about this tomorrow at lunchtime. Like I would literally pick a time that I was like, I I know I'm going to think about this again. This isn't the only time I'm going to stress about it. So turn it off now. You'll think about it later. And it worked like a charm. I truly was able to stop thinking about it. Nowadays, it doesn't work as easily. I'm like, it keeps coming back and I got to keep working on it. So it's easier said than done. Definitely practice. I feel like I have a million more questions for you, but I'm going to try to wrap it up. But one question I do have is when you were doing your exercises, your neuroplasticity movements, whether it was speech or, or more physical, like walking, 
did you ever experience improvements where you kind of were getting excited and then regressions, either minimal or big regressions? And if so, what did that look like for you? And how did you stay motivated during those times? Yes, they did happen. And they were so frustrating. Like I can't even like put it into words, um, how frustrating it would be with the speech and the physical. They were both very different. I'll I'll talk about the speech first, because that probably was more frustrating because speech losing my speech was extremely hard. And so I would like see progression. I would be able to like put words out that actually people could understand. And I was getting so excited. And then I would either have like a bad night of sleep or, you know, my body would just be tired or whatever, X, Y, Z, you know, the weather was bad or something, who knows? And my speech would be back to where it was, you know, before I started doing all of this. And I would get beyond frustrated, like crying frustrated, like, you know, you put in all this work, like what the heck, you know? And I would, I, I would, I I can still like distinctly remember this specific day that it happened. And I just checked out for the whole entire day and I gave myself the day, which really was resting. But in my way, I was mourning, (laughs) you know, like I was like, you know, mourning my life and everything. And the next day I woke up and because I had quote unquote rested that day before AKA mourned, I was prepared to take on another day and I started back up the the other day, you know, the next day and kept going. And with the speech and the walking, like it wasn't just always like wake up the next day. Like it sometimes it would be like a week or two weeks, you know, especially with the walking. The walking was just so slow. And I did not share the relearning to walk experience very much online. And so when I did share people thought that it was very quick, you know, that I went from wheelchair to walking like overnight because I didn't really share because I didn't know where it was going to end up. And it it's a very personal journey sometimes for me, it was anyway, but there were, there were some weeks where I would regress, you know, I don't know if that's the right word, but where I would kind of go backwards and <laughs> it's so frustrating to just, and you want to give up. Cause you're like, this, this isn't working, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, it's, it's a personal decision to keep trying. And I think going into it, you have to have going into anything, but especially physical therapy, if you have a specific goal or neuroplasticity with a specific goal, you have to go into it realistically and very gentle. Like you have to be so gentle with yourself because it is not a continuous progressive uphill climb. Like it's very up and down and you eventually will get up a little higher each time. But yeah, like you just have to be very gentle with the journey and gentle with yourself and know that going in, in so that when it does happen, you're like not taken aback, but also like you don't automatically give up. Cause you know, unless you want to, if you want, and it's not giving up even, that's like the wrong word to use because it's your journey and it's your decisions. But if you go into it, knowing that it's not going to be a easy or B just, you know, yep. One day, like everything's going to go perfect every single day. 
Like you need to go into it knowing that there's going to be ups and downs and that that's okay. Everyone has them. It doesn't mean you're failing. It doesn't mean you're doing bad. Like it just means you had a bad day. Take as much time as you need off. And if you feel up to it, like restart. I love that. That is such a perfect way to end this episode because I feel like it gives people permission and hope. And those two things combined, I think you can conquer the world. Like you, you can start something, you can restart something. So that was awesome. This has been so, so inspiring, even for me. And I know your story already. So I can't even (laughs) imagine how our listeners are feeling when this is their their first interaction with you. But can you share where people can find you? I'm assuming you're, you're going to have a lot of people who want to follow you and know more about you. Where can they do that? Sure. I'm on Instagram at the sparkled life and yeah, that's, that's, I'm just on Instagram. So that's all I have time for, but please come, come be my friend. Come say hi. I love interacting with people in the DMS and getting to know you. So come say hi and let's, let's build community and see what we can do together. (laughs) Definitely. And I'll put your, your Instagram handle in the show notes too. So if anyone is wondering how to spell it or where that is, you can just go to the show notes. But thank you again. I think you've inspired so many people just in this conversation alone, letting everything that that you've been sharing over the last five five to six years, at least that I've known you. How long have you had your Instagram account for? The old one I've had since I first got sick. So 2012. And then I just started a new one a couple of months ago, just to kind of honor like this next chapter and the new diagnosis. So, but yeah, I've been doing this for like, what is that? Like 11 years now, which <laughs> there's a lot of history there. It's Absolutely. crazy. And you're, if I, if I'm understanding correctly, I think your old account is still there and all the stuff is still on it. Like all the posts and everything, right? Yes. Yes. And I, I kept that up for a reason so that if you know, anyone wants to like look back and like see, you know, past experiences, past up and downs, they can. So, so yeah, it's like, that's, that was my way of like respecting and honoring the past was keeping it up. So I love that. And and it is true. If anyone does want to see more of like your full journey, you now have like the previous version and now this new version and both are still available to see and and to follow. Yeah. Really great. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So good to chat. And yeah, I hope everyone has a gentle day. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.